we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's go into the Word of God together, 2 Samuel chapter number 10. 2 Samuel chapter number 10. And if you're just coming in this morning, we have been in the study of the life of David for many, many weeks and many months, actually. And we come this morning to 2 Samuel chapter number 10. In chapter number 9, we noted the loving kindness of the Lord, the loving kindness of God. It is a steadfast love. And it is the love that so filled the heart of David that David desired to demonstrate his loving kindness to those who may have survived in the house of Saul. Of course, he found out that Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth, who was lame on his feet. He was crippled. And David extended his loving kindness to Mephibosheth and gave him a place at the king's table. We noted that that love, that loving kindness of the Lord is a seeking kindness. God is seeking whom he may be kind to, who he may extend his kindness. It shows the heart of God, that God desires to be kind to us. So many today have an improper view of God and the God of the Bible. And to be honest with you, some of his representatives, some of his messengers have contributed to that wrong view. So may the Lord help us to understand that. His was a seeking kindness. Then we saw, secondly, it was a sending kindness. He sent his messengers. Once he learned that Mephibosheth was alive, he sent his messengers to Lodabar to fetch. That's a, that's a good Bible word, fetch. And uh, that's a good Southern word too, amen. And it, it ought to help you understand that, that we Southerners are, are near to the heart of God, right? And uh, he, sent, he sent them to fetch uh, Mephibosheth. And, and I'm glad that God, when he knew our need, didn't leave us in our lost condition. He sent his son to fetch us out of the clutches of the devil and bring us to himself. And then we saw that it's a sustaining love, this loving kindness of God, uh, because he gave Mephibosheth a place at the table. And then he restored to Mephibosheth all the land uh, that belonged to his grandfather, Saul. And God, we find, is a God who loves us. And we, in Christ, uh, receive all that was lost in Adam. It is returned to us in the Lord Jesus. Now, as we go to chapter number 10, we see this theme of loving kindness continue. But it is upon a recipient that we might not expect. And so we go to 2 Samuel chapter 10, and we'll read this passage together. And then I'll share some thoughts from you or with you from the Word of God. If you're taking notes, this is the title of the message, Kindness Unmerited and Unrequited. Kindness Unmerited and Unrequited. We go to verse number 1. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died. And Hanan, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him 
uh, by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanan took David's servants and shaved off one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle even to their buttocks and sent them away. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. And when the children of Ammon saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rahab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maacah, 1,000 men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and Ishtab and Maacah were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth good. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him under the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadarezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the king of, or the captain of the host of Hadarezer, went before them. And it was told David, and when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David, and David, or, and fought with him. Verse 18, and the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians, and 40,000 horsemen, and smote Shobach, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon no more. Notice the phrase that we find in verse number two. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. Again, I want to give you the title of the sermon, Kindness unmerited and unrequited. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. And as we have come together into your presence, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be our preacher. Thank you that you have raised us up together and, and seated us with you in heavenly places. Now help us to receive your truth and respond in obedience to it. May we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. I pray for those who do not know you as their Savior that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would come and receive you today and receive eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
The kindness of the Lord is unconditional. It is his loving kindness. It is steadfast. It is the love that is unmerited. It is not based upon our worth or our value. It is not based upon what we do or who we are. It is unmerited love. It is the love of God. It does not flow uh, out of the heart of one who has an attraction for another. It flows from the heart of one who loves unconditionally. As we noted in, in chapter number 9, the loving kindness of God was demonstrated to Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth received that offer of loving kindness. Here we find the loving kindness of David, King David, uh, who also reflects the loving kindness of God, is extended to some group of people that we might be amazed by as far as their identity. Because this is not a group of people that are lovely at all. This is a very unlovely group of people. But here's what we find. We find that God loves them. And God extends to them his offer of loving kindness. But unlike Mephibosheth, who responded to the offer of loving kindness, here we find this group, the Ammonites, who did not return or did not respond to God's loving kindness. Thus, the title this morning, Kindness Unmerited and Unrequited. All of us this morning are recipients of God's loving kindness. In fact, everyone on this earth is the recipient of God's loving kindness. The air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the strength we possess, the ability that we have to think and to communicate, the relationships we enjoy, the time that we are given, the life that we have, all of it flows from a God who is filled with loving kindness. Have you acknowledged that kindness? And how have you responded to that kindness? That's really the question. Jeremiah the prophet wrote in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies. That word mercy is the same word that we find here concerning loving kindness in 2 Samuel chapter number 9 and also chapter number 10. It is of the Lord's mercies, the Lord's loving kindness that we are not consumed. You see, we are all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. If we get what we deserve as sinners, we'll spend an eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell. But because of God's compassion on us, because of his loving kindness toward us, we have the opportunity to receive him as our Savior. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. I'm glad to report to you, verse 23, they are new every morning. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Oh, the longer I live, the more I get acquainted with myself and the more I see my sin. And my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, we need the Lord's mercies. And they're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That's our God. Now, Paul warned the Romans concerning the danger of ne neglecting the loving kindness of God. 
He wrote in Romans 2, verse 4, despisest thou or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? He's warning them. What is he warning them of? He's warning them of the potential of despising the riches of God's goodness, his loving kindness, his forbearance in putting up with things, and his long-suffering. Not knowing, he said, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God has extended his goodness in this world to bring souls to himself. You and I are the recipients of that loving kindness. Titus wrote, excuse me, Titus wrote in Titus chapter number three and verse three, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. If you've ever read a description of modern-day America, you read it in verse 3. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. I've, I've never seen a time where our nation is so divided and people are so enraged against one another. Our nation seems hopelessly divided, does it not? The only answer to that division is Jesus. Our nation, our world is filled with hatred. And the Bible tells us that that is a characteristic of our sin nature. And that is how God met us. In fact, that's how David met these Ammonites in that dreadful condition. But notice what Titus went on to say, verse number four, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, <laughs> not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, according to his loving kindness, when Jesus came, the Son of God, and bore our sin upon the cross, what did he offer to us? He offered to us the loving kindness of God. And when we saw that loving offer that Christ made for us on the cross and his sacrifice and, and, and his resurrection and the glorious life that we can have in him, according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. He made us new. What a blessing. This is the loving kindness of our God. And David desired to show this loving kindness to the enemies of God. And may I say to you this morning that all of us at one time were enemies to God. Strangers and aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. But now we are fellow citizens with the saints into the household of God. What a blessing it is. If you know the Lord Jesus, you are no longer the enemy of him. You are a recipient of his loving kindness. And as a recipient of his loving kindness, we have a responsibility as his messengers to carry that news to a world that is filled with hostility toward our God. Now, in this passage, we see David uh, with a desire to express sympathy and comfort and loving kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, who was uh, the king uh, of the Ammonites. And Nahash had died. 
And so David expresses his sympathy, as many would do, perhaps sending a group of men to go uh, to the receiving or perhaps to the memorial service of some kind just to express the king's kindness. Maybe flowers were sent and, and, and a meal was provided, some expression uh, of, of comfort. What began with a, a wonderful gesture, a wonderful desire on the part of David to show the loving kindness of the Lord to these heathen people ended dreadfully because they rejected that offer of loving kindness. They shamefully treated David's servants and they declared war on David and they were defeated in the battle. I want to tell you that 2 Samuel chapter number 10 is just as up to date and just as relevant today as anything you'll read on any news website in America. This message is pertinent for us today. And I want us to note four things. And I'll tell you ahead of time, we're not going to get through all of them, all right? But I'm going to give them to you. Number one, the king's kindness rejected. Number two, the king's enemies attacked. Number three, the king's army prevailed. And number four, the king's enemies smitten. Number one, the king's kindness rejected. Number two, the king's enemies attacked. Number three, the king's army prevailed. And number four, the king's enemies smitten. So let's look at number one, the king's kindness rejected. Notice again, if you would, in our text, it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father, and David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. Remember the mission that God had, had given to the nation of Israel. He commissioned Abraham and he said, I'm going to be, I'm going to bless you and I want to make you a blessing to all the nations. So the responsibility of Israel was to bear witness to the Canaanite nations, the pagan nations, who was the true and the living God. And this is what David is doing. He is demonstrating the loving kindness of the Lord. So he is to be a blessing to the nations. But also we understand that Israel not only was to be a blessing to those nations, but Israel was going to be used by God as a tool of judgment against the heathen. Because though he revealed himself to them, they continued in their willful rejection of him. And they declared war against him. And so ultimately, God was using Israel to drive out those Canaanite nations to bring God's judgment upon them. Now, David here desires to show loving kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash. We read about Nahash in 1 Samuel chapter number 11. He was the king of the Ammonites. 1 Samuel chapter number 11, if you look there, I think it's important to note, we'll note verses 1 and 2. 1 Samuel chapter number 11, Saul is the king of Israel. He has been chosen. Remember, he was the people's choice. And so the Bible says in 1 Samuel 11, then, then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon Israel. 
So immediately we learn that Nahash is not a good guy, is he? He brings the Ammonite army against the men of Jabesh Gilead. The men of Jabesh Gilead said, we want to surrender. We, we want to make a covenant. Let's have peace. And, the, and then Nahash says, well, I'll tell you what. I'll accept your surrender and make you my servant on the condition that we thrust out all your right eyes so we can bring reproach, we can bring shame upon the nation of Israel and ultimately upon the Lord. This was Nahash. Now, we know that the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they, they, they sent to Saul, and Saul uh, rallied the men of Israel, and they went and fought against uh, Nahash, the Ammonites, and they defeated them. A great victory was won. And the men of Jabesh-Gilead never forgot the sacrifice of Saul and his, his response to their situation. And when Saul died, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who went and recovered the body of Saul and his sons from the Philistines. It was to the men of Jabesh-Gilead that once David was anointed king in Hebron that he sent to them a message extending to them an offer to be a part of his kingdom. And so we find here that this man, Nahash, he's not a good guy. He's no friend of Israel. But we can infer from David's words, at least, that at some point, perhaps during David's, uh, the period when David was on the run from Saul, perhaps there had been some kindness that Nahash had shown to David. At least enough had been done so that David desired to, to show his kindness to his son in the death of this man, Nahash. Now, the messengers then are sent, and they're sent to represent David and to comfort uh, these, these, these people. Now, we go to verse 3. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and to overthrow it? Now, David had sent those men to be comforters, to, to encourage uh, Hanan, perhaps in the hopes that he could have a relationship uh, uh, with this man and not have war with him. But when those messengers got there, Hanan's counselor said, wait a minute, don't buy into this deception. David's not here to help you or encourage you. David is here to destroy you. He's here to destroy you. You see, they misjudged his motives. They misjudged the motives of David. They misjudged his heart. They misjudged his character. They did not believe that he was concerned for them. And by the way, we live in a world that has misjudged the motives and the character of our God. We live in a world that has chosen to walk on in their darkness and in their sin, and they desire uh, to do away with God's truth, and, and they, they desire to silence God's church. They have a misunderstanding of what God is doing in this world and the role that Christ, the Son of God, played in their redemption. They, 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 they have somehow twisted in their warped mind that God is just some cosmic force in the heavens who seeks to, to hinder them and hurt them and damage them and ultimately to destroy them. They have bought into the lies of the devil. They bought into the message of the world. Like Canaan, they're listening to the wrong counselors, and they've got a view of God that is improper and untrue. 
You see, our God has a motive in this world. His motive is to redeem, to seek and to save that which was lost. For God did not hate or does not hate the world, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to tell you there's a God in heaven who loves sinners. He loves everybody in this world and he wants to save them. No matter what party they're aligned with, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their economic condition, no matter their, uh, their, their, their ideology, God loves them and desires to save them. But we live in a world that has misjudged the motives of God. They think he's come to oppress them. No, he's come to save them. Does he want them to continue in their sin? No, he's called them to repentance. But they don't want to let go of their sin. They have rejected his offer of love. They misjudged his motives. But then secondly, we see they mistreated his messengers. They mistreated his messengers. Look in verse 4. Wherefore Hanan took David's servants and shaved off the one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. So here are these men, these representatives of David, representatives of Israel. These were men of integrity, men of, of renown, respectful men. And what does Hanan do? He shamefully treats them. Now, what does he do? He shaves off half their beard. Most, most uh, Bible uh, commentators believe that there was one side of the face and the beard was shaved off. Now, they tell us that these men of Israel, uh, their beards were a sign of their, their honor and their integrity. I'm, I'm glad I'm not living in that age. I can't pull that off. One or two days of that, and I'm, I'm, i got to have a razor. Some of you guys, you, you, you enjoy that. You do well, and that's great. Uh, just imagine now, one half of it being gone. The left side, the right side, we don't know. Why did they do that? Well, the point was to humiliate them, to humiliate them. So they took them and shaved off half their beard. We, we don't understand all of the cultural ramifications of that. We don't understand everything that meant, but we do know that it was something that brought them shame. The Bible tells us that. Then they cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks. We don't know if they cut off one side of the garment or if they just cut the garment in half, but we can imagine the shame that that caused. So here are these men shamefully entreated. They're here to help. They're here to be a blessing. They're here to be kind. But Hanan shamefully treats them. By the way, what are we here for? What are we here for? I'm talking about the church of the Lord. We're here to be his messengers. We're here to carry his message to a hostile world. We're here to extend the loving kindness of God to people who will treat us shamefully. John chapter 15 and verse number 18. What did Jesus say? He said this to his disciples, if the world hate you, ye know that he hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember that I said unto you that the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. 
But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. I've been amazed in recent years as I've seen the, the hostility of the haters, the, the enemies of God, those who hate God. I've seen their hostility elevated, haven't you? Their language, uh, their, 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 their tone has become more bold and has become sharper and more critical. And things that we hear on the, on the news and in the mainstream media, I, I guess is a term, I don't know if it's mainstream, but the mainstream media, the terms that we hear about people who believe the Bible, the, the educational elites and the Hollywood elites, uh, what they, how they portray people who love God and know God and know his word, what are they seeking to do? They're seeking to humiliate us. And there's something within us that does not like that. And we don't understand it, and we don't like it. And there's a great temptation in this hour to, to, to move away from God's truth so as not to receive so much humiliation. There are denominational groups that do not want to take a stand about certain sins in this culture. Why? Because they want to be accepted by this culture. We cannot compromise the truth of God's word to, ex to be accepted by men. We must be obedient to God's word to be approved of by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one we serve. We must be faithful messengers. We must be filled with love, yes. Have there been messengers who have not been? Absolutely. Have there been messengers who have misrepresented the Lord and contributed to these, this misjudgment that many have made of God? Yes, that has happened. And it should be corrected. But we cannot compromise on the truths of God's word. And we can understand that when we take a stand, the world will hate us. They will malign us. They will seek to shame us, humiliate us, and intimidate us. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But nevertheless, it is one that we must be willing to bear. Now, these men returned in their humiliation. Look in verse 5. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. We cannot fully understand the level of, of this humiliation, but we know that they were greatly ashamed. And the king said, tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. You don't have to come back into the company of the people. You can wait and tarry and wait till your, grown, your, your beard be grown back. You see, I'm glad that our God is loving and kind and he extends his loving kindness to his enemies, but I'm also glad he extends it to his people. Because even in the midst of our shame and humiliation, the Lord takes note of this and he comforts us. He strengthens us. Now, as I said a moment ago, in the moment when, when this humiliation, this shame and reproach of the world or the reproach of Christ uh, is experienced in our lives, we, we, we have a tendency to grow weary and want to retreat. 
You know, when people seek to please the Lord and serve the Lord, oftentimes the devil will immediately bring some opposition against them. A word of criticism, someone will misjudge them and, and accuse them of something falsely or say they're trying to promote themselves. And those are very discouraging things to hear, are they not? Especially when your motives were right and pure. And there's a tendency when that happens to want to quit. A lot of, a lot of Christians have quit over the years, haven't they? I used to teach Sunday school. I used to do this, but you know, something happened and, and I got, I got really, I got really discouraged about it. And I just, I just quit doing it. Well, now, wait a minute. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? You see, we are messengers of the King. We are on a mission from the King and we can expect, we can anticipate that persecution is going to come. But when it does come, what does God do? He comforts us. Isaiah chapter number 50, beginning in verse number four, the Bible says, the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now notice who's speaking here. Look in verse six. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Who's speaking? Well, this is the Lord Jesus. He said, I gave my back to the smiters. I, I gave my, 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 my face to those who, who would smite me and who would uh, pluck the, the, the hair of my beard from my face. Imagine the pain. I hid not my face from shame and spitting all the vile, wicked things that, that they said to him, all the things that they said about him, daring him to come down from the cross. If thou be the son of God, come down and save thyself. Oh, he could have. He could have. And he could have sent all them into the pit in just a moment, could he not? But he endured it, did he not? Why did he endure it? Well, he endured it for the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured it. And because of that, he said earlier in verses four and five, he says, he says, I have, the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season. You see, David had, David understood what the mistreatment of these men was like because he, he suffered that under, under Saul. So David understood that. I'm glad that we have a savior who understands. I, I'm glad that we have a Savior who cares. And David didn't stay up in his, in his throne room and, and, and say, well, you know, those guys will just have to get over it. No, he sent his messengers to them to comfort them. And I want to tell you something. When you and I are shamefully treated in this world, we have a God in heaven who cares, who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And if we will just hear his voice, he will allow us to rest and be restored and return back to the service of the king. But we do not have an excuse to retreat. May God help us. He says in verse 7 of Isaiah 50, For the Lord God will help me. Will he not help us? Yes, he will. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. He said, I'm not going to let them stop me. And we can't let this world stop us. Verse 8. He is near that justifieth me. Can I tell you that God is near to those who are a broken spirit and a contrite heart? He's near. 
Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. This doesn't matter who comes after me. God is with me. What did Jesus promise his disciples? And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's with us. Is he surprised at all that's happening in our world? Is, is he concerned? Is he shaken? Is, is, he, is he seeking to, to, to leave us on our own at this point? Absolutely not. He is near. Verse 9, behold, the Lord God will help me. <laughs> Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they shall all, or they shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Listen, all this is going to fade away. It's going to be gone. All their voices will be silenced, and those who know the Lord will dwell with him forever. We need to remember this, don't we? We must be willing to bear the reproach of Jesus. So number one, the king's kindness rejected. Number two, the king's enemies attacked. The king's enemies attacked. Look at verse 6. And when the children of Ammon uh, saw that they stank before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Maacah, 1,000 men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array. That means they, they set their, 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 their military up for an attack. They put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and of Ishtab and Maacah were by themselves in the field. You see, when the children of Ammon rejected the kindness of David... They had two options. Number one, they could admit their error and repent and fall on David for his mercy. You know, when we're confronted by our sin, we have an option. Do you know that? God is not some, as I said a moment ago, cosmic force in the heavens just waiting to hit you over the head with a billy club. He is a good God who seeks our, our repentance. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire and his heart is that his enemies would be reconciled to him, that they would repent of their sin and, be, uh, and, and come to him and, and enjoy the right relationship that they need to have. So the children of Ammon had that opportunity, but they refused it. So they decided to double down in their rebellion and attack. And that, that's where our world is today, is it not? They've heard the message of the gospel. They know that the Lord loves them and desires to save them. At least they've heard that message. They know that what they're doing is wrong and sinful, but instead of repenting, what are they doing? They're doubling down and they're attacking. The king's enemies attacked. They put the battle in array, verse number 8. Now, in Psalm, in Psalm 2, we have really uh, all of this sort of uh, revealed to us uh, as far as where we are today and how we got here. Psalm 2 and verse 1. 
Why do the heathen rage, the psalmist said. Now, who's the psalmist? Well, it's David. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. In other words, here's where we are today. We are in a world that has said we do not want the message of the gospel proclaimed to us. We do not want uh, the righteous demands of a holy God revealed to us. We want to cast off the cords. We want to break their bands asunder. We have no desire to, to turn to Jesus. None. No, we want to continue in our sin. We do not want to come to the light lest our deeds should be reproved because we love darkness rather than light. John chapter number 3. You see... Our presence as Christians and Bible believers in this world, our message brings light into the world, and the world hates the light that Christians are bringing into this world. There are a group of people who are actively seeking. I want you to understand this. I hope you're not naive to this fact. They want nothing more than the doors of the Christian schools in, in this state and this country closed. They're attacking the curriculum. They're using their labels to brand us as, as wicked, immoral people, using terms like misogynists and, and racists and, and white supremacists, how they've sought to identify all those things with Bible truth. You see, they're very clever in their tactics. They're, again, they're, they're, their goal is to intimidate and to shame Nobody wants to be identified by those terms, and we are none of those terms. We are Bible-believing Christians who love the Lord Jesus, and we want to teach our children and the people of this community the way of salvation and the way of life. They are walking in the way of death. We need to understand that. The king's enemies attacked. But now, I've got some good news for you. I have some good news for you. We can't finish this this morning. But let me leave you at least with this good news. The king's army prevailed. The king's army prevailed. Go with me. Verse, verse 13. And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him under the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. I mean, Joab just showed up with his army, and they took off running. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem and said, King, we showed up to fight them, and what did they do? They just took off running. They took off running. The king's armies prevailed. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have some good news for you this morning. We're on the winning side. Oh, Luther understood it, didn't he? We sang his words this morning. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God is willed, 
his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Just one word from Jesus, and all the enemies of God will be judged and defeated and smitten, and the church of Christ will prevail. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Have you responded to the kindness of the Lord? He sent his son to die in your place to redeem you of your sin and deliver you from hell. Like the Ammonites, we all deserve death. But he offered an opportunity for us to receive his loving kindness. Don't double down in your sin. Take this opportunity today to repent and come to Jesus. Receive his loving kindness. Are you a servant who's been shamefully treated? Is the Lord Jesus your king? Did he not taste the shame and reproach of wicked men? Yes, he did. Are we greater than him? No. Should we not expect such things? Yes. Do we think it strange, as Peter wrote, concerning these fiery trials? Does our Lord not care when we're treated so? Most assuredly, he cares. And he comforts. We can recover, we can return, and accept another mission, but we cannot retreat. Maybe you find yourself today on the sidelines, on the outskirts, once involved, but somebody said something that hurt you. Somebody made fun of you. Somebody questioned your motives, and you've allowed it to sideline you. Get back into the battle. We're on the winning side. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.